Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Paul Beck. It's March 17th, 2020. We're at the Nicholson Library at Linfield College. Paul, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to be here. Uh, first question for you, a little bit different than usual, but uh, why hospitality? I, I've grown up in hospitality. I, it seems to just fit my personality. I'm always wanting to take care of people, make sure their needs are met, and have want to show them a good time and show them what I love about food in general, food and wine, basically. I've grown up in the restaurant industry since high school and ended up in a wilderness youth counselor program as a counselor. Did that for a handful of years, but and that's more teaching and guiding kids how to just be people and be adults. communicate with each other and ask for what they need and then ended up finding myself in the wine industry and front of the house hospitality sides just was what I was drawn to and better at anyway I liked knowing the the back end of winemaking but it wasn't ever where I got my joy working in harvest and that stuff it's good to know it's it's a must need peace Mm -hmm. to actually be good in the front of the house and hospitality Mm -hmm. side but it's much more fun talking and interacting with everybody in the taste rooms and email and everything else we do these days to Mm -hmm. communicate Mm -hmm. to our customers tell me about your kind of early restaurant experience and at what point wine became part of it uh well wine never became part of my restaurant experience um I started as a busboy in, I think, junior year of high school. Just, it was a job. I needed money and that was easy to do. I quickly became a server and started working Italian restaurants and then pizza joints through high school and college. So wine was never really a huge piece of it. I always knew about it, always liked it because my parents enjoyed it, but it wasn't part of the restaurant life that I saw. So after your other, your, your gig in the, with the counseling, how did you get into wine at that point? Blind luck, <laughs> truthfully. Uh, I didn't want to go to grad school for therapy. I didn't want to spend another three years and to become a, a therapist or anything like that. Uh, and was just trying to find something where I didn't have to go to work for a week at a time. Uh, my wife was, over it I was over it because I'd live at work for a week be at home a week and so life would just stop and go the whole time and it was my mom who was like well why don't you just go see if you can get a part-time job in a taste room for the summer she's like you like wine you've been going out to the taste rooms and enjoying that stuff because we were doing that on the weekends and my time off and I said yeah sure I've got nothing else to do so uh, throughout about 10 resumes, just hand wrote letters and put my resume in envelopes and sent them out to 10 different wineries and called 
about five days later, gave them time to actually get there, mm -hmm. and then called each and every one of them. And Domain Serene, this was 2011. Yeah, Domain Serene called a day later and said, hey, we want to bring you in for an interview. Yeah. Fast forward, kind of learning about the industry, you had Domain Serene and Argyle, Sokol Blaster, which were kind of the only wineries big enough to have mm -hmm. part-timers regularly. So uh, ended up at Domain Serene for the first summer, which was a fantastic learning experience, working with a big winery. Uh, also got a job with uh, Grape Escape Winery Tours. Uh, and working with those guys really that gave me the opportunity to actually drive around and see all the different wineries we had in the valley at the time the small ones the big ones the places nobody had ever heard of unless you pretty much lived here or been in the industry uh, and then through that i got to meet uh, don over at vidan and he needed somebody to work for them on tuesdays so they're person could have a day off. He could be out in the vineyards and do the winemaking. So worked for him one day a week for about three months. And so yeah, I had to first summer 2011, I had worked seven days a week for about three, four months. Anytime I could pick up extra hours, extra money. Yeah, and my wife, she was kind enough to say, oh, well, you've got a year to figure it out. Um, <laughs> I personally thought I'd be in the in the wine industry that summer, be at home, figure out what I wanted to do next, and get a real job. Mm -hmm. uh, turns out, my real job was uh, wine. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. got a full-time job with Lang Estate that September, October, running there what used to be Domaine Trevere, the taste room when it was above Red Hills Market, mm -hmm. and then did that for two years and found myself uh, at Winters Hill. Talked myself into a job there. <laughs> uh, it just so happened to be that the Gladhearts were looking for somebody at the same exact time I was looking for something more. So that was seven years ago. So before we get it's into- crazy to think about right now. <laughs> Before we get into some of that, I'm curious what brought you to Oregon in the first place? World's too small to live in one place. This is the best way to say it. I grew up in eastern North Carolina. Loved it. It was right near the beach. Everything you could imagine as a kid growing up, going to the beach, going to the lakes, just doing all that. And then in college, went to Appalachian State. It was about as far away as I could get from home while still staying in state <laughs> to not pay too much money and fell in love with the mountains. And then after college, just wanting to explore. So looking for work in Oregon, Washington, Colorado, California, just idea to come west and live somewhere new and got a, the wilderness job for out here in Oregon. So moved out here in 2008. Yeah, just, I've always had the want and need to travel and explore, meet new people, see new cultures, experience new things, and found Oregon and just absolutely love it. 
So what was your, uh, since you, you, you had been visiting Oregon wine country as a consumer before yep. you got into it, tell me about your kind of initial impressions of, of Oregon wine and the end of the industry. Beautiful, low-key, easy to learn and talk to the people behind the bar. We were, since I was, would be off a week at a time, I could come out on weekdays mm -hmm. when it was quieter. You got to actually talk to people behind the bars and actually get more interaction than dealing with the weekend crowds. And I pretty much fell in love with the wine. Um, Erath wine, the 2007 uh, La Magique was just, the wine I fell in love with out here. That was the Pinot Noir that did it for me. Uh, 2007 vintage is that kind of weird, tricky one the critics love to write off, but mm -hmm. just pure Oregon. We do it a little bit differently around here. I think we tend to like different things than most. Mm -hmm. uh, Oregon wine, Oregon culture in general, the people of the Pacific Northwest are always a little bit different than everybody else. Uh, we tend not to fall in those same categories as a lot of the rest of the country. Um, so tasting rooms, the wineries are much more hospitality driven. They're smaller. The chance that you meet in winemakers at the same time or the owners coming through the taste room. Half the time nowadays, even still, it's the winemakers pouring for you. Um, any free time, most of them are in the taste rooms. They want to meet and interact with everybody. So it's what we do. So as you started working in the industry, you had you had uh, Domain Serene and, mm -hmm. and at Vidon at the same time, very very different places. Very different. Tell me about the kind of compare contrast those for me and, and what you took what you found appealing about both of them. Uh, Domain Serene, well, the bigger label, bigger brand, bigger taste room, more people. So I actually got to work with a taste room manager. Uh, hospitality managers with Lucas and Tara back then uh, we actually had a full team of people so work weekends and there's five or six of us working we'd still see a hundred or two hundred people come mm -hmm. through the tasting room so that ability gave me the confidence and the ability to actually speak up talk in large crowds control a tasting room experience and learn how to uh, pour for multiple people at a time and really f force you to figure out and force me to figure out how to actually work several people at, in several different groups at a time. Uh, Vidan, very small, thousand case production. It was me in the taste room. So in or his winery garage, not really mm -hmm. tasting room, but uh, if I didn't know something, you'd have to kind of just make it up. Uh, Don wasn't there to call all the time. Uh, if somebody asked you a question, you just either had to say, I don't know, or make something up that sounds pretty accurate. <laughs> uh, which you can get pretty accurate with most things. I mean, as long as you know the winemaker style, it's, it's pretty easy to figure out all the other little details. Mm -hmm. uh, and then gives you the ability to sit down and talk to Don or talk to uh, the hospitality team and people at Domain Serene to just learn more. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know that much about wine. I thought I did at the time. Uh, I thought I had learned a bunch going out and tasting and talking to the people throughout those 
two or three years had, had gone out tasting, but once you actually get into the wineries, you know nothing. Mm -hmm. Especially mm -hmm. talking to winemakers that have been in it for 10, 20, 30 years, you're like, ooh, I'll shut up now. <laughs> Go ahead and talk. Just, I'll listen. So at what point do you start to develop the ability to have those kind of conversations, to, to speak on that level and, and to talk to guests who have that kind of range of questions? It took two or three years to truly be comfortable with knowing it. Um, working at Domaine Trevere, working with the Lang family and talking and hanging out with Jesse and the uh, harvest crew up there. I Those two years, so I'd work the tasting room that day and then go up and help the team up at Lang for harvest. Uh, so learned a ton there, uh, just watching it all, being around, seeing the, the process, mm -hmm. and then being able to talk to Jesse and the, the winemakers up there. Mm -hmm. uh, fantastic wealth of knowledge that just built upon the backside of winemaking and the true aspect of winemaking. So you can answer all the the detailed questions of the barrels, of the, the fermentation process, all the little things that play a part, mm -hmm. but most consumers don't really know about, don't really sometimes care, but then you always have the few that do want those details. Mm -hmm. And then I was lucky enough to study for the Certified Specialist in Wine course and wanted to do that just for my own mm -hmm. personal gain. I knew a decent amount about Oregon wine, but I didn't know about a ton of the rest of the world of wine, and that was a self-study guide uh, that helped build upon that. Mm -hmm. Hardest test I've ever taken. Um, but learned a ton just by reading through the books mm -hmm. uh, and the study guides that they give you, and then was lucky enough to pass the first time, so I didn't have to do it again, <laughs> God. Um, but yeah, that, that test alone, I would work and spend six, two to six hours a day studying seven days a week for three straight months. So you learn a lot doing that. I would imagine and Sitting down and tasting wine. Uh, I mean, most people these days have seen the movie Psalm, seen how much they talk and taste wine and do all that. Uh, you learn a lot by doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, two, three years before I became truly comfortable with really thinking I know wine and confidence mm -hmm. in myself. Tell me about the, about your, you mentioned the kind of the harvest experience with, with the mm -hmm. Lang. Tell me about the, that, your, your interaction with like the production side, the back side. Tell me about what you did and, 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 and what your main takeaways were from, from that part of the industry. Main takeaway is the hard work that goes into it. Long hours, long days. The crew would be up there 6, 7, 8 a.m. depending on the day. And then we'd have some nights, if something goes wrong, you're, we had 1, 2 a.m. nights by the time you clean up and everything like that. Uh, I was just doing the grunt work. So first, first experiences in, in harvest. So I was doing just there for punch downs, mm -hmm. moving things around, cleaning up at the end of the day, cleaning up as the rest of the guys did all the, all the actual work. And then I was just there to spray things down, scrub tanks, scrub uh, bins, uh, doing all the grunt work. Hard work, you still need to know a lot, but you also see a ton. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. 
What was something about the wine production side that surprised you? How many hours a day they work and then do it again the next day for five weeks, six weeks, sometimes two weeks, just like last year. Uh, what was it, 2019 vintage with all the rain this year? At least at Winter's Hill, we pretty much had all the fruit in within one week and like two weeks of just pure scrambling and chaos. And <laughs> uh, I don't know how they were able to do it last year. Just so compact, so crunch time, and just late days over and over and over. Um, also, how fast equipment, uh, the first time you use equipment, how fast that can break down the first time you turn it on for the year. Oh, it works great. Okay, we tested it out, we cleaned it, we got it turned on, and then you put something in it and the press breaks or pump gets clogged, and you're like, oh, all right, just hang out for a couple hours, we're going to fix this. <laughs> Don't go home. Um, you mentioned earlier one of the things you learned at, at Domain Serene was how to control a tasting room. I'm curious what you what you mean by that and, and how how that is something that you have had to learn. Like, mm -hmm. what, 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 what is meant by that and what is the, the skill that you've developed there? Controlling the tasting room or taking control of the communication aspect, uh, meaning I personally want to give my knowledge, give my experience in wine towards somebody who's into our tasting room. Mm -hmm. I know our wine better than the person walking in usually does. Sometimes you get a club member that's been with them for years and years and they actually know more than I do sometimes. Uh, but for most people, you're really trying to give the customer an experience so that they learn a little bit, they walk away with more knowledge, they have fun. Mm -hmm. uh, wine is still supposed to be fun. Uh, and then also, I want them to have the knowledge that I want them to have sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, all, they need to have their own experience with what they're tasting and smelling in the glass and what they're seeing. But I also want to gear that conversation in the direction of getting them to have memories when they go home or to make sure they buy a bottle of wine so that when they go home in two months or three days, open that bottle of wine again, all that comes flooding back out. Mm -hmm. uh, controlling the aspect, sometimes you have three or four groups that'll walk in at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're in a big tasting room, you have lots of staff to handle that. I'm at Winter's Hill now and some days I'm the only one there. So you're dealing with managing the bar so that everybody is able to get their time with you and not feel gypped, uh, not feel judged because you didn't talk to them as much as you talked to the other people. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes when it's individuals or just individual couples, you'll actually stand a little closer or yeah, stand a little closer to the bar and be a little more one-on-one. -on -one. And sometimes if you have a group here and a group here and then you have maybe an L-shaped bar or three groups across, I'll step back and actually speak to everybody at once mm -hmm. and tell the story of each wine to everybody so that they're all able to listen in on what I'm saying to, I may be looking at this group and talking to them, but because I'm standing back a little bit, I have a little broader range of where my voice is going mm -hmm. 
Uh, it also gives you the ability to turn your head and look at everybody. And so you're also at that point kind of presenting more so than just interacting one-on-one. So controlling situations like that, knowing how to work crowds and knowing how to be able to go back and forth, give a little bit of information here, give a little bit of, to this people, and then as individual groups will either start having individual conversations with themselves, okay, they're fine, I can back up and I'll go focus more specifically on this other mm -hmm. couple. Mm -hmm that may have more specific questions to me. Uh, and then you also have to learn how to read the people that are in front of you that have no interest in talking to you whatsoever. Give them the briefest snippet so they got it. And then just walk away or turn around or say, I'll be over here if you need me. Because um, you can just tell they're like, eh, okay, I'm trying to get, trying to just go outside. I'm like, this is fine, but I really just want to be out there. So you don't want to trap them in too much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, uh, you've, you've worked at a number of different places. If you, if you could generalize, what are the most common things that consumers uh, care about or, or ask about from you? And, and what are the things that are, 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 they most, are they most interested in the people? Are they most interested in the wine? In the, what, what, what is it that captivates most of, the, of your clients? Most people are more interested in the people behind the wine. They want to know the family's story. They want to know who the winemaker is and who the, who the family is. Majority of people we see want to visit the smaller family places. Even if they end up at Penner Ash uh, and Willa Kenzie these days, they don't know that they're owned by Kendall Jackson. They know Penner Ash and they know Lynn's name and they know the Willa Kenzie and they don't care about the Kendall Jackson mm -hmm. brand. Mm -hmm. They want to know who the people are. They want to know the history of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's more people in history. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a handful of people that seem to be more wine geeky and really want to know what the barrel percentages are, how, how much new oak, what type of yeast was used, which mm. great, uh, not really all that important sometimes. <laughs> uh, that's a much lower percentage. Mm -hmm. So yeah, brand stories, history. Some, some people just want to know about me all the time. Where'd I come from? Where'd you go? And it's not even about the, the winery itself. Sometimes you're just sitting there talking about you. <laughs> and, and it's kind of weird sometimes. <laughs> like another job interview, basically. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Oh, you, where'd you travel to? What'd you do? How'd you get here? It's kind of like this. <laughs> I'm glad you had yeah. some practice then. This is good. Uh, tell me, you mentioned uh, the, the Grape Escape part of things and then mm -hmm. kind of before you started your own thing, you were part of the Grape Escape yep. tours. Uh, tell me about, you, you mentioned the seeing all of the places, of the kind of the sort of off-beaten path places. Tell me about um, your experience there. Uh, what were the tasting room experiences like at some of the smaller places? What were, what was the hospitality industry there yet? Were, were places ready for, for customers? Much more small, much more low-key. Uh, Ralph did a fantastic job. He, he's at that point he had been in the he had been doing Grape Escape for what 15, 17 years, I think. So he was the very first tour company, I really. So he knew everybody and knew which wineries would are open when he would call, whether they were open daily, very few of them actually were, but they'd 
host his groups mm -hmm. when we called. And so most of the time you're tasting with the winemaker, the owner, assistant winemaker. We'd go to Anderson family and you, you had Cliff and Allison tasting for you. Uh, Don would be in the taste room. Don had, I forget his name now, but Don had an assistant winemaker that ran, ran the tasting room. So you'd either meet with Don or uh, him and just very intimate, very close-knit. A lot of times you're in the winery facility, maybe you were in the, the house, the owner's house. Uh, very different than any of the big tasting rooms where it was a real tasting room set up like you think when you see movies or you think California and that stuff. Um, we spent very little time in the Dundee Hills back then. So if customers requested, then we'd take them to the Dundee Hills. But most of the time we were Chehalem Mountain, uh, Yamhill Carlton area, uh, tasting in those smaller, smaller regions back then. Now you've got everybody everywhere and there's no real quiet places anymore unless you're just way out off the beaten path. Mm -hmm. The smaller tasting rooms and smaller winers are still smaller and quieter than the bigger places yet it's still a lot of the same feel. It's still not, Oregon still hasn't grown that much. Mm -hmm. We're much busier than we used to be and the big names are much, much busier than ever. But you still get these small intimate experiences when you go to out to Ribbon Ridge. Uh, Eola, Amity Hills are still quite small. You still get up into uh, Vidan and uh, uh, why can't I think of other names right now? Like Bell, Bell's Up is out of that. Yeah, Bell's Up. Too. You yeah. still get these small, private, intimate tasting rooms. Mm -hmm. um, Colleen Clemens, way up there. It's There's not really that, there's wineries around it, but there's really not that much that's like half a mile, mm -hmm. mile away. Mm -hmm. So you're still driving up their dirt roads. Um, where you go to end up in Dundee Hills and you end up with uh, Sokolbosser, Durant, DuPont, Archery, Winters Hill, all like mm -hmm. 10 wineries within a two mile radius mm -hmm. of each other. You end up on Warden Hill Road and you've got this whole stretch of wineries. So there's, there's just a lot more density in certain areas where you still get to these smaller places and you feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere, which is cool. <laughs> we still have dirt roads. <laughs> And, gra and gravel roads. And gravel. Some customers don't like that, but most people still find it pretty pretty neat, pretty interesting. Um, we'll get fade roves everywhere at some point. <laughs> so tell me about the decision to start your own uh, company and, and that kind of model. And, and tell me about the, be the beginnings of it and kind of what you sought to offer. Yeah. So I started Willamette Wine Concierge last year officially to actually make money or try to make money at it uh, so that I could use my passion for all the wine that I love. Share my knowledge with everybody and not just talk about one brand all the time. Um, I still go out tasting and visiting wineries on my days off all these years and love having the variety of wines that we have in this area. Uh, most all my travel around the world or around the country outside of visiting families all for food and wine. And so I looked around and we have tour guides galore these days, 20, 30-ish tour guides, 
hop in a van, they'll drive you around, they'll share some knowledge with you, and that's fantastic. There's a need for that. We have plenty of people for it, but I needed to be something different. So I started the concierge business to help people organize and plan their trips. So you come to me and I'll help you build the itinerary for you to match what you're looking for. Uh, what's going to fit and help give you the wineries because not everybody wants to pay for a tour guide. Uh, and so if you, most tour guides will do that planning for you if you are booking through them. Mm -hmm. I'll build the itinerary and help you get all of that, but you don't have to go with the tour company. Here's your itinerary, here's full in-depth details, directions, a little snippet on where you're going and the regions you're going to, and you can either drive yourself, or if you want a driver, I can help you find, find one uh, for group size, for the type of driver you want, etc. And then also, I didn't want to buy a van. <laughs> Those are expensive. Uh, and so I don't like having to do the same exact thing. Uh, so if you're a full-on custom tour where you're, you're using anybody and everybody, great. You can plan your trips. Mm -hmm. But you're still a lot of times telling some of the same stories over and over when you're in the car the whole time. Uh, this gave me the ability to really customize everything, work more with people more so than selling that aspect. Mm -hmm. um, but then I got into offering in-home wine tastings, uh, wine classes where I'll set up classes and do uh, intro to Willamette Valley wines or Dundee Hill specific, Chardonnay specific wine classes that anybody can pay for come in will be like the most recent one I did was at Lionheart Coffee Company in Beaverton. The intro to Willamette Wines, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, Pinot Noir, the, the three major grapes that we work with and just get to share my knowledge. I also get to pick and choose which wines I want to pour. So I got access to 500 plus wineries to choose from and it's so fun. So it helps keep my knowledge sharp, it helps me stay interested in this business uh, and then just share my love for Oregon wine. Um, and then I've also haven't done one yet but wanted to work with a super high-end wine tour and so book through book through me or book through a driver, but I'm actually there with you tasting throughout the day, doing nothing but the elevated tasting experiences such as the seated tastings, library tastings, the winemakers talking and tasting with winemakers, uh, going to IUB and a couple others where you're just in their house, in their back uh, winery, etc., and doing the high-end tastings. It pays for a driver, and so we have the guide, we have the driver, but I actually get to sit down and taste with you and help fill in those gaps. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of great staff around here, but some customers don't quite know which questions to ask or, or have a bunch of questions, but don't know where to start. Uh, and then if you talk to tour guides and see them, you can tell a lot of the times the customers are like, hey, have a glass. like. I won't tell anybody if you have a glass and you drive, it's okay. Uh, and you can just see the drivers being like, oh, I can't do it. Um, so the customers are wanting a lot of that one-on-one -on -one attention and wanting that in-depthness. If I'm actually tasting the wines with them, 
once we get back in the car going to the next place, you also have the ability to talk further, like, oh, I tasted this, what could cause that, or why didn't I like it, why do I like that? Then be able to add just a little bit more. Because if you're just driving, you may have had that wine a year ago, you may have never had that wine. So it was really to offer something more unique, do something different, and for me to have fun. Tell me about the, re the response so far and who, who has found you and for sort of to what end? Uh, so the concierge, the actual planning of the trip part, I've worked with a couple of people that have planned in birthday parties from Iowa and uh, Illinois and a couple other random states. <laughs> They're like, I, uh, I know Oregon wine, we've found a couple of places, but I don't know what any of this is like. Mm -hmm. There's 10 of us, we're just trying to find fun, unique places that we can more or less hang out at and have a good time and not be in a rush or be in a big crowd. Mm -hmm. so it's okay, well, let's get you to some of the smaller out of the way places. Uh, let's find you a place with bocce courts and games. Um, then I've dealt with people who wanted to make sure they weren't going to uh, anywhere they could if they could find the wines in the stores at their house, they didn't want to go to it. <laughs> so helping them find the correct places mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. The um, Another one was, I got a list of wineries from my wine shop guy, and I said, well, what do you think of? He's like, well, I don't really know. He works at a wine shop. He seems, he knows wine. We trust his taste. Every, Thing we've had from them was good, but I just want to make sure they're smaller places. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, well, let me, I'm gonna, where are you? Uh, they were in Florida. And so I said, well, my guess is there are these five wineries. And they were like, yeah, how'd you know? I said, well, those are our largest distribution wineries and you're in Florida, gets a decent amount of wine from Oregon, but not a ton of variety. And so they were like, well, then where would, where would you go? <laughs> uh, and so it's really a lot of people just don't know Oregon wine. They know the name, they know the brands, but they don't know mm -hmm. the details. Uh, so it's really helping with that. It seemed like both with uh, the kind of the, the Grape Escape part of things and also with your company, there's a real focus on small, on yeah. off the beaten path, on maybe not distributed or not available in restaurants outside. So is that, it seems like that's the bulk of your clients are interested in kind of unique things they, they can't get elsewhere? That's what most of them are looking for. Mm -hmm. You can find the big names just by or Googling Oregon wine or Willamette Valley and you, you get Argyle, Rex Hill, or A to Z, uh, Erath, Domain Serene, Stoller. And so if you just do a quick Google search, you get five to 10 brands that you just see constantly everywhere. Mm -hmm. They have a big base, they do enough marketing, they have a, actually a marketing budget. So you can pay for the Google ads, you can pay for all those, and so those are easy to find. The, the people who really want to dial in and find something unique are, don't have time to do the research themselves because they work a ton. Uh, we're all so busy in our lives day to day that you have a job that's demanding, you have kids, you 
just don't want to sit on a computer and zoom in on Google Maps and like find the small wineries. You don't necessarily go to Willamette Valley Wineries Association and kind of read through this list of 300 plus wineries. You're like, where do I start? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you pull out the map and you just see dots everywhere. And people are like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, and so I'm really, a lot of our tour guides do a great job with getting the smaller places. They'll certainly go to the big names. If you really want to go to those places, we'll, we'll happily take you there. Mm -hmm. um, I'll happily set you up because the food and wine tasting at Domain Serene or uh, Sokol Blosser are phenomenal experiences. They have great staff. They train them well. The chefs that care, uh, employees that care, they know the wines. And so, yes, there's nothing wrong with going to a big place. Uh, you want to go sit out on the lawn with a picnic at Stoller and look at their tree and rope swing. It's freaking amazing. <laughs> um, it's awesome no matter where you go, but a lot of people are really looking for that, what they call is this true Oregon experience. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, un un unpaved roads and, and, and barns, yep. definitely, right? <laughs> So what would you say is uh, sort of the, your hospitality or business philosophy? What is it you want, what, 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 do you kind of, what kind of stands behind your, your company when it comes to what do you want to offer people who, who come to you, whether it's in the tasting room or whether it's with Willamette Wine Concierge? Share the passion and history of what I love. Oregon wine and food tells a story. Uh, it tells a story of the people, it tells a story of the land culture is built around food and wine around the world. So you're, I'm really trying to share my passion and my love for culture and history through food and wine. And tell me about um, balancing your time. Obviously, so you mentioned you work at Winter's Hill, you have your own, yeah. how do you sort of balance your time? How do you sort of make, make this all work? It's hard. <laughs> Uh, I've gotten, the concierge business has gotten busier in the last, uh, or was getting busier until recently. Uh, Winter's Hill, we've grown tremendously. Our wine club has almost doubled in the last two years that I've been there. Uh, the amount of foot traffic we're seeing on a daily basis, the amount of online wine sales is increasing. So at Winter's Hill, I deal with the tasting room, the wine club, and the shipping logistics, and then anything else that involves getting wine out the door. Uh, and so with them, I probably could easily work six or seven days a week with online shipping and online sales and then dealing with wine club. Uh, and then I'm all my stuff on concierge is I'm working at night. I'm working on my extra two days off and figuring out how I can time things out. Uh, Winter's Hill has also been nice uh, this year, the, the Glad Hearts, if I got a booking or a tour, or a class or something I needed to do on one of the days I worked for them, uh, they were going to be nice enough to give me an extra day off a week to go do that. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's, A, it was communicating with the Glad Hearts about what I was doing and then working with them and being open and honest. But yeah, it's sitting on the couch at night on the laptop and typing out itineraries or planning and talking to a distributor about which wines we're gonna need at this location for this tasting or 
or driving around and visiting the small wineries to pick up wine because they don't have distribution. So meeting them to buy wine and have it for classes uh, or in-home tastings and that stuff. And so, yeah, it's, it's there's not really anything called balance. <laughs> balance, I think, is so personal. Uh, I, I love sharing wine, I love drinking wine, I love having it and learning about it, so it's, I guess, I'm balanced in a way that makes me happy, but you thought of it as a balanced life of this many hours here doing this and then this many hours at work, you know, there's none of that. <laughs> kind of a common refrain in wine yeah. we find that yep. this and tend to bleed into life. <laughs> yeah, it bleeds into life and then every once in a while I just hear from my wife of, can we just drink this? and Please shut up. <laughs> okay, got it. I've already bought it. You don't have to sell me. We'll just enjoy it. <laughs> uh, so tell, uh, tell me, looking ahead for yourself, uh, for you, you know, your, your, your concierge business is still pretty new. Uh, I know our immediate future right now is kind of we're all kind of on hold. We, we don't really know what's going on in the next few months. But as you look ahead for yourself and for your business, what do you kind of see as you look as maybe five, ten years down the road? Uh, five, ten years down the road, I want to be doing the concierge business the whole time. Um, I want to be able to do my own thing, for one. I have full control over it. I have my vision and plan of what I want to be doing with it, and I get to control my work schedule. Uh, I also am the type that don't want to be, doesn't want to be tied down to being in one place all the time, every day, doing the kind of, we all do the same routine over and over, no matter what job you do, but at least if I'm doing my own thing, I'm at this winery, I'm at this winery, I can work from home. I have a little bit more freedom to move around. Um, Winter's Hill, I'm still gonna be there for another couple years. Uh, helping them grow their brand, and which is going super successfully with that and still having a blast with it because I've gotten to have a lot of control in what I do and families allowed me to just, if I see something I want to do or want an ability to do, then they've allowed me to do it. Um, most of the time it's worked, luckily. Um, see more people see an increase in sales seeing an increase in online shipping which i think is huge over the next handful of years as more and more people get more comfortable with shipping wine and shipping it's a pain in the butt because you have to be there to sign for it but so much is bought online these days that i think people are just getting more comfortable with mm -hmm. ordering things online and so there's an avenue to sell more wine that way and build build your brand, not just in the taste room, but how to tell your story to everybody once they get home. Mm -hmm. uh, the concierge, there's just so much I can do with it. I think it's still, I'm the first one in Oregon to do it. And so I think I'm ahead of the curve. I haven't been, I've been keeping myself busy, but it's not like it's bringing in a ton of money or a ton of people. But if you look at Napa and Sonoma areas, you look at uh, Chianti, Italy, and Florence, and those regions, the big regions around the world, they have people like this that are busy all the time. Um, and so Oregon still doesn't see half the amount of people that you see in those regions, and tourists, but we're getting there. Mm -hmm. And so I 
think in three to five years, it is going to be, I think there will be a few more of people like me doing something a little more unique and different to fill in those gaps, but we'll see. If it doesn't work out, then it'll just be a small side gig I do with whatever else I do. It's interesting the way you, you kind of, the way you describe the position is almost like, you're almost like a, an Oregon ambassador in a way, yep. like you're the, you're, the, you're the person someone asks for when they want to get into Oregon in general, which is kind of an, an interesting role to have. I think. Yeah, that's actually a good way to think about it. Yeah, I'm just trying to champion Oregon, Oregon wine. Whether it's Willamette, uh, you get into the Rogue Valley and Umquat Valley and there's some fantastic wines down there. Not nearly as many people, but they're amazing to visit. Big Reds get some variety. <laughs> Walla Walla area out in Washington. I mean, living in, being in the Portland area, you've got access to Walla Walla, Eastern Washington, Columbia Gorge. You've got all of the Willamette Valley down to Eugene, and then you've got Roseburg, and then everything below that. Within two hours, there's two or three different wine regions you can be in. Uh, a lot of variety of wine. So we're not as we're not as famous, the rest of the regions aren't as famous as Willamette Valley or Willamette Valley is not even as famous as Napa and Sonoma yet where they see just so many, so much density, so many people, mm -hmm. but it's uh, increasing faster than every other wine region in the world. So why not shout Oregon wine all the time? Uh, on that note, uh, tell me about what you've seen change in, in Oregon wine since you've been a part of it or been aware of it, I guess. Uh, what's the biggest difference between kind of your initial impression of Oregon wine and, and where it is now? It's a lot easier to get a full-time job these days. <laughs> um, so few wineries have full-time positions in 2011, 2012, the market was still down in the dumps. The brands were small, there weren't that many people. I mean, I remember being able to buy a case of wine for $99 because people were just desperate to get it out. There weren't that many people. Uh, wineries were small. You had a handful that could handle staff, but once you got a full-time position, you never really left. <laughs> so you're like, well, I'll just wait around, uh, work my butts off and figure out all the different part-time jobs. Uh, more brands brings in a lot more personality brings in a lot more variety of flavors and styles of Pinot Noir. We got the winemakers, you got the old historic winemakers, you got Sokoblosser and Irie and Adelsheim and those, that crew that's kind of seen as that old, mm -hmm. old history, mm -hmm. uh, old families that still do amazing jobs. Uh, some of them have grown to be huge brands uh, nationwide, some have still stayed pretty small. Mm -hmm. Uh, but get tons of recognition. You have uh, new brands that are coming in and what do I need to do to s make myself stand out in a sea of amazing wine. Uh, so we're seeing more natural wines uh, and low input or however you want to describe those. Wines starting to come out to try to fill in a niche for the consumer that wants very little input in wine. Just give me the grapes without all the other stuff. Uh, we have the winemakers that like bigger, heavier, uh, more fruit forward style Pinots. Pick a little late, get a little more ripeness and uh, fruit intensity. 
and then you have all the winemakers that want as little light touch, uh, pick a little earlier, get a little bit more of that austere, looking at more of that old world, high acid, food, super food friendly wine. And so whatever you want, Pinot Noir wise, we pretty much have it these days. Um, Chardonnay is fun to watch in the last five years, seeing all the Chardonnay come on come in and to, to play and coming out as just these amazing wines that 10 years ago, a lot of Oregon producers had written off, mm -hmm. or I should say 20 years ago had kind of written off as it just won't work. But then you, 10, 15 years ago when Langs and a handful of others started planting it in the in the 90s and early 2000s. All of those vineyards are now hitting maturity, and we're starting to see this influx of amazing Chardonnay come out. So you're getting a variety of grapes more so than we used to, which was Pinot Gris, Pinot Noir. Um, now we got Chardonnay. Rieslings are coming on play, so we're getting a lot of variety of grapes, which is going to be fun to watch. Mm -hmm. And then all the big money. Big money, big brands, worldwide recognition, uh, it's just going to continue, mm -hmm. you know, which is not a bad thing. Uh, when business is successful, no matter what it is you're doing, big players, big money comes in because they want a piece. Mm -hmm. uh, the climate's changing, it's getting hotter, we're getting hotter, California's getting hotter, California's getting dry. 20 years, are they going to still be doing the same thing? So a lot of those brands are looking to expand. And so Oregon, Washington, uh, BC are all going to continue to grow. Land's still cheap. Uh, these brands need places to go if they want to stay in the wine business. And Oregon, 30 years from now, are we going to be still champion Pinot Noir? Is it going to be Gamay? Uh, is it going to be Syrah? Pinot Noir is always still going to be there. We have a ways to go with that, but we're going to see a lot more changes. Um, truthfully, what they fully are, we'll see. Uh, everybody's still trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. but, Do you have a, a maybe like a, a, a hope for what Oregon wine looks like in say 2030? I hope Oregon still does what Oregon does best, which is hospitality and sh basically showing people a good time. Mm -hmm. um, keeping things intimate and special and unique to what Oregon is. The Willamette, uh, Portland, all of this, the Pacific Northwest is drawing a ton of people from all over the country coming here and the culture in the last 10 years has changed a little bit yet people still have to pretty much adapt themselves to Oregon and the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> so I hope we don't have too many people that come in and force Oregon itself to change, but that people continue to come in and say, this is what Oregon is, this is what we want to be. So we're coming because we want a piece of you um, and we want to be part of what you're doing and what you've always done. Mm -hmm. Be a little more unique, be a little bit more low-key and more intimate, more hospitality, more personal. 
So if someone were to come to you and ask for your advice on entering the industry today, uh, getting into the Oregon wine industry, what would your words of wisdom for them be? Go work for a tour company and work for them for a summer. Go see all the different wineries. Get a tasting room job or get any job but then also make sure you're going out and visiting all the other wineries. Learn what you're, learn what you're selling as well as what you're a part of. If you just get a job at one winery and don't go out and visit the other neighbors, you're not gonna be able to help all the guests and clients that come in. We play as much tour guide for all the other brands and for customers that visit us at our winery because they're not coming here just to come to you. They're here for three or four days, six hours, but they're going to at least two or three other wineries. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know everybody else, you can't fully help the customer in front of you because mm -hmm. they're going to ask you, oh, where should I go? What should I drink? What do you like? And if your only answer is, well, I only drink our wines, they're gonna look at you and go, why are you even here? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I've spent thousands of dollars to come to your area, and you're telling me all you do is enjoy your wine? What's the point in that? <laughs> we are in an area where people love to come, and they want to come. This is a dream trip for people, and we live here. We are part of it, and we get to enjoy it all. And they're here for 12 hours, 24 hours a week, maybe if they're lucky that long um. all the questions that i have for you today is there anything i didn't ask that i should have asked anything we didn't talk about that we should have covered i don't think so all right well thank you this has been actually this, it's been awesome i've really really enjoyed Perfect. this your perspectives are really interesting uh, so i uh, appreciate your time appreciate your stories and your thoughts and we'll uh, let you off the hook Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.